the ideal scenario would be one place where you could get everything. And so my bet was that you could build a brand across multiple different categories and that would make it easier for the customer rather than building a brand that was just focused on one category. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Morgan Horsch, who is the founder and CEO of Public Goods. Morgan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, looking forward to the conversation. So I want to start with just how you had the inspiration for Public Goods. What was the kind of origination of the idea and how did you get started with the business? I think I've always been frustrated with just the shopping experience. You know, I, I would dread going to buy my toothpaste. I'm one of those people who rolls it up and tries to get the very last drop out of it, mostly just because I don't want to go and look at a wall of toothpastes. You know, I think between Colgate and Crest, they each have five or 10 different whitening toothpastes. So it's very hard to navigate. And then you kind of replicate that you know, going and looking at a wall of toothbrushes and then shampoos and et cetera, et cetera. And then I think that if you take a look at Amazon, they've kind of exacerbated that where instead of it being a wall of products, it's now 10, 20,000. There's no possible way that you could actually get through and decipher it. Not only do you not really know what you're getting, you don't even know on Amazon who you're really getting the product from. So I just felt there was a simpler way to do things. And when we started to see all these direct-to-consumer brands launching, I think it was a moment in time where Facebook ads were cheap and so you could build a business. But in terms of real usefulness to the customer, I felt it was sort of lacking. The, The ideal scenario would be one place where you could get everything. And so my bet was that you could build a brand across multiple different categories and that would make it easier for the customer rather than building a brand that was just focused on one category. So when you were in those early days getting going, you end up going with Kickstarter as kind of the first uh, funding mechanism. What led you to that in the early days? Well, for us, you know, I'm Canadian originally. I moved to New York to start the company. And when I asked around about how to fundraise, I was told, oh, you just need uh, to be, you need warm introductions to the investors. And so, of course, when you're new in a place and have no ties to those kinds of communities, didn't go to a top uh, Ivy League school or anything like that, or coming from another country, uh, warm introductions weren't really on the table for me. So... Although I did, you know, have some conversations, I don't know how warm the introductions were. And ultimately, the option that was left available to me was going out and proving it out on Kickstarter. Once we did the Kickstarter, which was, I think, in the top 0.2% of all Kickstarters of all time, we raised almost $700,000 in 38 days. Then we started to get inbound interest from investors. But probably had someone said, hey, Morgan, you know, We'll give you $3 million and for your idea up front, probably, uh, you know, we would have done that. But that option did not present itself to us uh, out the gate. So coming out the gate and that $700,000 raised on Kickstarters, how has public goods grown since that time? It's, you know, we're, we're happy. We've been doubling, tripling every year. 
since since we started. So, you know, that gave us the initial momentum to go into our second, you know, our first and second product categories, personal care to household and then food. Um, so from there, you know, we started with 10 products. Over the past two, three years, we launched an additional 300 products going from personal care to food to CBD to pet. We just launched wine. So the assortment growth has been, I think, I would say remarkable and 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 the revenue growth uh, has been kind of on plan as well. With that kind of deep of a product assortment, which have the, been the products that have really stood out and kind of been your top sellers? Well, one thing totally by accident, we just didn't realize, that, you know, like a happy mistake was that nobody was doing refills for hair care products for shampoo and conditioner. So for us, it was obvious that when we were launching our first 10 products, you know, hand soap, shampoo, you know, hand soap, body wash, shampoo, conditioner, and all the kind of basics that you need in your, in your bathroom, that we were, of course, you know, on top of making the bottles from sugarcane so that they were less pollutant. Also, we would do refills so that you wouldn't have to throw out the bottles at all and you could just use refills. So obviously, we're going to do refills for all of our categories. It turned out that nobody really nobody had done shampoo refills. So that was a, a top a top seller just because it turned out we had no competition. And then when we went into food, just another sort of, I guess, uh, I don't know, luck, I guess, is our ramen noodles really took off. So in our personal care category, we have the refills that are really driving force for the business. And in the food category, we have ramen noodles uh, that are really driving force for the business. And I think with the ramen noodles, you could attribute that not just to the product quality. We always kind of, you know, I, I, think, I think we've done an excellent job really never compromising on product quality. But that coupled with some really great creative we have a videographer and we give him quite a bit of latitude on creative. And he just put together this amazing ad. He actually is friends with a composer who also did just amazing music to go along with the ad. And I think the, the combination of the creative and the product quality really, really resonated with people. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors. Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. On the note of those refillable products that you've had in personal care, how has kind of uh, environmental uh, concerns and commitments really been at the, the top of your list with public goods? So initially, you know, with our first products, like I mentioned, sugarcane bottles, we did a biodegradable toothbrush, and we were one of the first to do tree-free toilet paper. 
And then with each additional product that we launched, for example, with our surface cleaners after we moved from personal care to household, we did gray water friendly plant-based surface cleaners. So with each category that we went into, the product development team does extensive research and finds out the more sustainable version of that product in garbage bags. Again, we found a garbage bag vendor that had developed a completely biodegradable garbage bag. So that was kind of the first step, small scrappy team doing a ton of research and finding manufacturing partners that were at the forefront of the most sustainable solutions in those categories. Now, as we started to raise outside capital and could build out the team, in January this year, we wanted to deepen that. So my first step there was reaching out to academics. And so I reached out to top academics at the top schools and had conversations with them January this year. Many of them pointed me in the direction of a company called Pure Strategies, uh, founded by an MIT alum, Tim Greiner. And they had built out the sustainability strategy for Walmart, uh, in part, and uh, seventh generation. So we engaged with them and have been working over the past year to kind of really deepen those initiatives. So by early next year, we'll be able to publish a report with all the benchmarks we intend to hit and quarterly publish a report with all the milestones and where we want to be and tracking ourselves against them in a very transparent way. You know, with all the kind of tremendous growth that you've had as a business, how have you really been able to keep the culture uh, rooted in what you kind of inspired in the very beginning of the business? That's a, a good question. I remember, I mean, really, a business is a collection of people. And I think the strength of a business is very much the strength of the relationships between all the different people. And not just my relationship with people, but everybody's relationship with one another, this kind of web of relationships. And in that way, you could have a very collaborative team. I think that early on, we implemented rituals to kind of put people first. And I don't say that as, as, as kind of some sort of soundbite. I mean, like really putting people, putting the, the idea that we are people, we're human beings. And I'll give you an example. So on Monday mornings, the entire company gets together, now on Zoom, but it was in person prior. And we go do this exercise called, if you really knew me, you would know. And so we all go around and say, if you really knew me, you would know something that's going on in our lives. So for example, my grandmother passed away last week and I shared with the entire team, you know, if you really knew me, you would know that my grandmother passed away last week and I was, you know, really loved her and was very anxious because I wanted to give her, you know, a perfect send off. And so the eulogy was actually really important to me. And, you know, and I shared that detail with the team and we go around and all of us, um, you know, share something and it could be banal, um, but sometimes it, it's more serious things. And so that happening week after week allows people to kind of get to know each other and know what's going on in one another, one another's lives. And, you know, even though it takes like half hour, 45 minutes and it's the entire company, I think it's time well spent. So I think those types of rituals where people get to know each other as human beings are really important. 
I love that. And how have you continued? I mean, a lot of the business, the growth has been during COVID and the pandemic. How do you see that culture aspect changing as, you know, we kind of return to normal, you know, the new normal, if you will, in the business environment? Yeah, you know, it was it was lucky that we had that ritual prior because then when the pandemic hit and suddenly we were all remote, we were able to, without it feeling forced or unusual, we were able to move over that Monday morning ritual to to Zoom. And I heard from a lot of people who were isolated during the pandemic and during the period where we were all quarantining, I heard from a lot of people that that it was really, uh, you know, that they looked forward to that Monday meeting, to that human connection. So I think by having those rituals to begin with, um, I think they translated well to remote work. Then we added some additional rituals. We started using some communications tools that I think were helpful. We implemented a simple Slack tool called Donut, where kind of it sets you up randomly with coffee chats. So people are having kind of random one-on-ones. We, once you were able to uh, open up a little bit, people were able to, to, to hang out together. We said, hey, anybody that's going to send in a photo into Slack of them having a meal together means the meals on the company. So we started getting different groups of people across the country meeting for, for lunch or coffee or dinner and sending in fun photos. So I think there's a way to kind of have a remote distributed team that still has deep connection. So recently, one of the newest categories you've expanded to is into wine. What led you to go into that decision after being in food for a few years? Just, uh, you know, as a category that I think uh, there's, uh, you know, if you think about kind of the idea of the business of simplifying the shopping experience so people know that they're getting products that are healthier and more sustainable than typical versions, and also in categories that are often pretty cluttered and overwhelming, and I think wine fits in. You know, there's a lot of pretentiousness around wine. You look at a menu and it's kind of, again, overwhelming. You go into the liquor store and it's again. So we just kind of want to say, hey, let's, let's, let's make a house wine that's delicious and simple and bring our ethos to that category, the same ethos that, that we brought to, to other categories. And so if you think about it, you know, going through the house, we started out you know, with personal care, you need to wash. Then with household cleaners, you need to clean your home. Then with food, you need to eat. Then with, you know, knives, forks, plates, you put it on something and, 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 and in addition, wine glasses. And then now beverages, now, you, you know, you, you fill your glass. So we're just kind of building out an assortment so people can have access to everything they need in their homes. So when you think about everything somebody needs in their home, where do you see uh, going next for public goods? I think there's a lot of room to expand in food. I think that we, you know, that that's kind of a main area. So it's not so much about new categories as it is really fleshing out our our current categories. I also think that we still need, we still don't have like pots or pans or cookware. So I think that's something that uh, will be coming soon as well bedding too. So if you just look around the home and think about what are the things that you need and use every day, public goods will go there. When you think about the CPG space and really what's happened, call it over the last decade, 
there's been a ton of evolution with the rise of digital and e-commerce. What do you think the continued evolution is going to be in the consumer packaged goods space over the coming decade? I think that it's going to be really tough for there to be digitally native brands that aren't omni-channel, particularly if they're a single category. I just think you know it's hard to get enough wallet share and really be useful enough to people if you're in just one category. So essentially what we'll see and what we'll continue to see is brands that were originally intending to be direct-to-consumer brands really just becoming brands. That makes sense. So, well, it's been a pleasure learning about uh, the journey that you've gone with public goods and all the amazing growth that you've had in business. So I appreciate you taking the time. No, well, thanks for your curiosity. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.